Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Series. This is Karen Nutt, Director of the Child Development Program with Braille Institute. And we also have Joe um, with Ayers LA. This series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. And tonight we have Dr. Bill presenting on lighting for children with low vision. So we'd like to welcome you here tonight. And Dr. Bill, thank you so much. And Tori, thank you so much for being on the line as well. Oh, thank you, Karen. Thank you very much for having me. So I will... I will mute my line and give it to you, Dr. Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I want to thank all of you for coming out this evening to listen to this lecture. It's so, so nice when we have such a a large audience. And it's also especially nice when I get to meet some of my families from years ago. This evening, I was very happy to be able to speak to the mother and father of a patient of mine, and I come to find that he is now 27 years old, and he is a master's student at Cal State Fullerton, where he's studying psychology, particularly sports psychology. So it makes me feel so good to hear how well so many of our our young students do throughout the years. Uh, Today, we're also very, very fortunate to have Tori Schladen on the call, and Tori is the founder of Partners for Pediatric Vision, and she has many, many years of experience in working with children with low vision as she was previously the director at the Junior Blind of America's Infant Development Program. So uh, thank you very much, Tori, for being on the call. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Bell. Happy to be here. Well, tonight what Tori and I wanted to talk to you about is something that is very, very essential to the development of vision, and that is lighting and vision stimulation. Now, I remember when I was first in eye doctor school, one of the things that really, really surprised me was when they told us that a newborn child who is perfectly healthy they actually do not have normal vision at birth. And it actually, in fact, takes many, many months for their vision to actually develop. And I just had no clue of that particular concept. So I began to read different types of research articles and things about vision development and such. And one of the things that I was very surprised to learn was that When a child is actually born, their eyes could really only focus at a distance between 8 to 16 inches away. If you are further away than 8 to 16 inches, your face probably becomes very blurred and they cannot see you. I was also very surprised to learn that the newborn child's visual acuity, it is worse 20 over 200 basically means is that that child would not even be able to read the biggest E on the eye chart. 
Another thing that's very interesting to know about children when they're born is that children, when they're born, they actually do not have color vision. We often will decorate their rooms with all these different colors and things like that, but they really don't see things in color. They see it in black and white. And it reminds me, when my wife, June, and I, when we were expecting our first daughter, we were really very excited about that. And uh, she had gone out to a baby shower. So I said, I'm going to go ahead and decorate the room. And I went ahead and decorated it with a border that I put up on the wall near the ceiling. I had all these pinks and floral types of pastels. And then later, that night when I was reading, I realized, God, all this work that I did, this little girl isn't going to be able to focus on any of those things. It's at the wrong distance, it's the wrong color, and everything else. So it really, really amazed me that this is truly how vision is with children. And so I began to do much, much more research. And I found out many, many things that were very, very interesting. Number one, what I learned was that with all children, if they do not receive visual stimulation, their vision will not develop. And what that basically means is that they did research on different animals and even on humans. And if they took a newborn animal or a newborn baby, and if they blindfolded that child with a patch, and they did not allow that child to see any light or any patterns for months at a time, when they uncovered the child's eyes, those children were blind. They were not able to see. So that really shows us something that's very, very important, and that is the environment that you raise your child in. It is very, very important. If you keep that home too dim, that child probably will not develop maximum visual stimulation. Number two, another thing that was very interesting that I learned is that this vision stimulation, it promotes the development of the visual regions of the brain. That's right. There are specific areas of the brain that are responsible for us being able to see. And in human beings, if we feel the back of our head, we could feel the back region of our brain. It has a, a lump there. And that lobe of the brain is called the occipital lobe, but that is where most of the vision takes place. So when a child sees a light, or you're showing your child your face, or you're showing your child colors and pictures, that information focuses to the eyes, and then the eye sends electrical signals down these nerves, and it stimulates that back part of the brain. And that is how children and adults develop that level of vision. Now, what we also learned is that it is not enough only to have light, but we also need to have 
patterns and numbers and letters and shapes and pictures. Because all of those other types of pictures and shapes, they also stimulate the development of those regions of the brain. So what we know is that for children who are very young, it's very good that you're going to show them different types of pictures and things as well. That is going to then give them the ability to identify details and later to identify colors. And as the brain continues to receive this type of stimulation month after month, we then see that the back of the brain, it then sends electrical signals to other parts of the brain. And the child learns to do different things. So when the brain sends signals to the front of the brain, right near where your forehead is, that is how a child learns how to move the eyes. By stimulating the front region of the brain, the eyes are then able to scan and move from one location to another. And as a child does that more and more and more, by the time that the child is six or seven years old, they then have the ability to move the eyes from one word to the next for reading. So that is very, very important to do that. Another thing that happens is that the back of the brain also sends signals to the sides of the brain. And these particular sides of the brain it teaches the eyes how to follow a moving object. So let's say that you have a ball and you're going to toss a ball to a child or you're going to tap a balloon to your baby. Well, the baby learns to follow that moving balloon or the moving ball by doing those activities. And that stimulates another part of the brain called the parietal lobe of the brain. We also have other regions in the brain where the brain will then develop depth perception. So the child knows how far is that cup of milk that that child is going to reach for. And the child develops depth perception. And then we have other areas of the brain where the brain learns how to solve problems and puzzles. And this allows children to look at drawings and illustrations. And even though those illustrations aren't identical to what mom or daddy looks like, a child could understand that that drawing is actually a picture of mom or dad. Or this is how children understand diagrams. So it's very, very important to remember that vision is a developed type of skill. And during the early years of life, when we perform these kinds of games and activities, it is very important for developing these different types of visual skills. It's also important to remember that we could continue to do games and activities and exercises with children as they get older, even to the time that they're adults and we could improve their visual skills even more. 
Let me give you an example of that. One of the things that I used to really enjoy doing as an eye doctor was that I was one of the eye doctors for the Olympic team, the United States Olympic team. And we would do these vision exercises for the athletes. So if it was a baseball player, we worked mainly with baseball players, but we would develop their ability to judge how close or far the baseball is when it's coming. We would work on their eye-hand coordination. And it was so rewarding to see how these players could develop better vision and how it helped them to hit better. And even today, there's many, many professional basketball players, tennis players, golfers, baseball players that do vision therapy to continue to improve their vision. So the point to this is that we could always continue to do vision exercises for the kids. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about And then I'm going to let Tori chime in here because she has a lot of good information and things to share, too. But the first thing of importance is to have adequate lighting. We need to have adequate lighting. Now, in many cases, what we find is that with newborn babies and at the homes of many people's homes, it's actually too dark. A lot of people just prefer to keep their home darker so it doesn't get as hot. Or people think it's more relaxing and it's easier for the baby to sleep when it's dark. And that is, in fact, true. But we also need to give the baby some time where the baby is going to receive light. Now, the reason for why this light is so important is that When light enters the eyes, it then actually stimulates some of the different glands within the body. And these particular glands are very important for development of growth hormones. In fact, if you had a child and you did not expose them to enough light, they will not sleep properly, and it's going to affect their cycle of understanding night and day. So one of the best types of things that we will recommend is to have lamps that are going to produce a lot of light but also be something that's very, very safe. Now, one of the best types of lamps that we we find to be most versatile are called torsier floor lamps. And you have seen these are available at Target or at the swap meet or at Kmart. And they basically have a round disc on the bottom, and that round disc is weighted. And then there's a pole that goes up about 8 feet. And on the top of the pole, there's a lampshade and a light. And then the light shines up towards the ceiling and then the light will bounce off the ceiling to illuminate most of the entire room. Now, these types of torsier lamps, they're usually available now in what's called LED bulbs. And the reason that the LED bulbs are real nice is that they produce a lot of light, and they do not use a lot of electricity, 
and they do have the color that is very, very good for the child's eyes. Now, what we mean by that is that every light bulb actually has a particular type of color. When you look at some light bulbs, they're a little bit reddish. Others might be a little bit greenish. Others might be even a little bit bluish. And there's other bulbs that are called full-spectrum bulbs. Now, the full-spectrum bulbs, those are the ones that give the whitest type of light, very similar to, like, sunlight. And that really works very well for most kids. But before you go out there and you buy a light, it's very helpful for you to talk to your eye doctor. And the reason that we say this is that for some eye conditions, it's better to have certain colored types of bulbs. So, for example, there are some kids who have a cataract, and that's where the lens inside the eye is a little discolored. And if we use a light bulb that is bluish in color, that's going to be kind of uncomfortable for the child with a cataract. Now, there's certain types of light bulbs that are often very, very bluish in color. For example, when you go to the classroom at most schools, they have the fluorescent tubes. You have probably seen those tubes. They're about four feet long, and they're about an inch and a quarter in diameter. And most of the schools and grocery stores use this type of bulb because, again, they don't use a lot of electricity. But some of those bulbs have too much blue light. So we would ask the school to change those light bulbs out from a blue one to maybe one that's tinted a little bit reddish. Another condition that affects blue light are retinal conditions. If your child was born prematurely, or maybe that your child has diabetes that affected the retina, the blue light is very, very bothersome. So we will ask them again to not use the blue fluorescent lights. And if you're going to be buying the Torsier light at home, we'll make certain that you get the one that's just going to be a nice, nice white light. So what's good about these Torsier lamps is that they're very affordable. You could plug them into any outlet, and you could take them very easily from, from one room to another. So maybe that your child likes to play in the living room at nighttime. Well, you could take this lamp into the living room at that time. Or maybe you're going to be eating, and it's time to go to the dining room. Well, you could put more lamps more light by moving that torsier light there. Okay? So it's very, very important that we have adequate lighting and that we ask the doctor about what would be the best color light bulb. Now, you might also then say, well, in my home, we have light fixtures in the center of the room. You know, in the bedroom we have the light fixture where you could screw in the regular light bulbs. 
And is that good enough? Well, that is okay. It is okay. It, it is not the best thing, but it's also not the worst thing. One of the problems of those particular types of lights is that for many people, they do not have a good lamp shade. And in many people's homes, they just have the light bulbs there, and they don't even have any shade. Well, when you put the light bulbs in there, the problem with it is that if a child is lying on his or her back and they look towards the light, those light bulbs, they're a little bit too bright. And they cause the child to then begin to see spots. You might have experienced that before. If you just look at a light bulb, and after a while, you start to blink your eyes, you see a black spot in the center. And that's because that light is a little bit too bright there. So if you do have that type of a light fixture, it would be better if you could go buy a light shade that would go over it. And that way, the child's eyes won't get real fatigued that way. If you're going to buy the light shade, you know, they're very affordable, too. It's very important to get a light shade that is frosted. You don't want it to be that you could look straight through and see the light bulb as though there was nothing there at all. But if it's going to be something that is painted white or it is frosted, like frosted glass, that would then be good so that it won't be too bright for the child. Okay, now I'm going to turn it over to Tori for a moment. Tori, do you have any other types of uh, suggestions that you have used for your families when they need light? Or can you talk a little bit about even table lamps or lamps that are very short so that if a child is eating food, we could put a, a small lamp there? Yeah, I think I think what you mentioned, Dr. Bill, is it's important to consider, first of all, I guess we could start with the home environment, but if you're working in a home environment with a young baby or a child, um, consideration of all those sources of natural light, the light that's coming from the ceiling, um, you know, making sure to observe the lighting in the family's home and then sort of them recognize where the home might benefit from additional lighting. So I think that I think there's a lot of different important roles that light can play in a child's environment. Um, and I think what you were speaking of a minute ago, Dr. Bill, is sort of the idea of highlighting something or bringing attention to it. And sometimes that can be done with an additional light, as you mentioned, a light with a um, that can be moved easily from place to place, that could highlight something that you want the child to be paying attention to or looking at, um, you know, if they're, if they're reading or if they're doing work, of course, that's extremely helpful. Um, I think it, it can, for a young child, light is very, very important in terms of illuminating even a parent's face. Oftentimes doing home visits when we want the child to be able to pay more attention to mom or dad's face, we might even 
use a flashlight, a colored flashlight or a white flashlight so that when the baby is um, maybe not making eye contact or not looking towards the parent's face, then we might think of some creative ways to bring light onto the parent's face so that they can see it more, more easily. So it's really important in bringing attention. Also, I think light plays a, a big role in orientating a child to their environment. Even if that, again, is a young baby or um, an older child, lighting within different rooms can be different, and we can certainly use that as a way of encouraging a child when they're moving from room to room in a house. For example, in the kitchen, that might, that might be a place where there's um, a lot of bright natural light from windows or a particular um, lighting overhead versus maybe in the bathroom, maybe there's a night light that can be purchased that has high contrast or colors, and that's another way for that child to help distinguish that they're in a particular room um, in in their house. Um, I don't know if you were going to talk about, were you going to talk a little bit about glare, Dr. Bill, and just reducing ways to reduce glare? Um, yeah, you can if you'd like to go ahead and talk about that, and then I could add, you know, a, a few things about the sunglasses for glare and things. Uh huh. Um, sure. Well, oftentimes the surfaces we have to be a little cautious because we don't want to be lighting a surface that then is reflecting backlight or that has a lot of glare. So, oftentimes a tabletop even in classrooms or maybe if you even think about a, a table in a kitchen or a high chair can have a lot of flare. So ways to do that, of course, is to you can cover tables or areas where a child is working with, um, you know, a colored paper, something that's oh. going to mm-hmm. less flare. And then in addition to that, of course, you might be creating contrast, which is also helpful um, in addition to... Uh, the lighting, um, any any um, filters. Sometimes there's um, what do you call those? Like acetate can be placed over work areas or covers, and that that also helps reduce glare for some children when you're using light. Um, another important thing is to make sure that when you are working with a child in a classroom home setting. You want to position yourself so the student is not looking towards windows or light sources. So make sure that they're, you know, that's going to be, um, that they're face, not facing towards the windows, that they're facing away from the windows. Um, yeah, that is so, that is so important. Oh gosh, I remember when I first started doing some of the home visits and I couldn't get the kids to look and then, uh, you came and turned the child around so they weren't looking into the window. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, there is a good uh, reference for all of these kinds of things, and I can recommend that to everyone. It's on familyconnect.org, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with um, Family Connect, but it's www.familyconnect.org. And there is a handout called Adapting Your Home for a Child Who is Blind or Has Low Vision. And they go through light and color and contrast, texture, 
organization a few a few areas, and they even have some examples of the use of contrast, high and low, in places around the house that I think is is very helpful. Um, also, there's a website called Teaching Students with Visual Impairment. Um, I think that's a resource for a lot of teachers with visually impaired. And they also have one on adjusting lighting and, and, and glare issues. So search around online, and, and there are some good suggestions out there, good handouts on lighting. Yeah, one of the other things that I, that I have found over the years is that there is another company called Berryessa, B-E-R-R-Y-E-S-S-A Lighting. And it's a husband and wife company, and they have always been interested in helping adults with low vision. But then they came to us and said, well, what about for kids? Are there certain things that kids would benefit from? And we said, oh, they certainly would. One of the things that I really like from uh, one of their magnifiers, it is a round magnifier, and it also has a light it's really great because, first of all, the light is a very, very even illuminated light. It does not get hot, and it's very, very bright. So this is one that uh, an infant, an infant who plays on the floor, we could put toys on the floor, put them on a blanket, and a child would be able to look through this magnifier with the light to see things in a magnified view and also to see it in a regular type of view. And we have found that this particular lamp also has been very effective for a child who is beginning to eat at the dining room table. Maybe the house isn't real, real bright, and we could then bring this little desk lamp there and it allows the child to see the food that's on his or her plate. They also have a wide selection of other types of high-quality lamps that are very, very good. So as a child begins to learn and look at pictures or learn the alphabet and other letters, uh, these particular lamps are available. So that is a company that's called Berryessa Lighting. And uh, they're very, very, very helpful. Now, Tori, do you want to talk to uh, the folks and a little bit about what are some of the types of other recommendations that you and your staff make when you're first working with a family? Because uh, as you and I know, families often know nothing at all about vision. And sometimes they think that they should be shining lights into the child's eyes. Other times they think it's better if they keep them in the dark. Other times they feel that it's very important to use colored strobe lights and other things. But can you give a a general review of what is the information that you do tell the families, the parents, about lighting when you first meet them? Sure. Well, we're in a very fortunate position, of course, because we're working alongside you, Dr. Bill, and other low vision optometrists who, for the most part, have have examined a child and can give the recommendations about the proper use of lighting. So 
you mentioned it early on in the call, the eye doctor's uh, recommendations for lighting are really, really important. If, if a family doesn't have access to a low vision uh, exam, of course, their ophthalmologist will make recommendations also. And I think that there's a fair amount of information that can be found um, via the Internet depending on a child's visual diagnosis as well. So depending on the, the diagnosis, then that will help us determine whether the lighting, if they need additional lighting or if we have to be a little more cautious about lighting and glare issues, for example, for a child with albinism. Um, so I think, I think it's worth understanding the diagnosis, making sure that the family has a good and accurate diagnosis to be able to determine how much lighting is going to be helpful. And then I think talking a little bit about the home environment or the other environments where the child is, you know, during the course of a day and understanding a little bit more about how we can utilize the lighting. So, again, as we spoke, how we want to take advantage of nice types of natural light for children, making sure that it's not too dark, um, you know, providing that additional lighting for particular activities is helpful. I think that oftentimes families feel that they need to, I think maybe you were alluding to this, buy a lot of lighted different things, different toys, <laughs> flashlights, Christmas lights, um, and put those all over the house. So <laughs> They don't I need always, to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that although it's really exciting and really important for some children who are attracted the lights. We do want to take advantage of that. We do want to shine a light on um, a, a particular toy that they might not be interested in and see if they gain visual interest. Maybe the use of a light box. When you put something on top of a light box, all of a sudden it becomes illuminated and much more interesting and much easier to see. So I think that there's there's definitely a lot to be said for um observing and then also trying trying uh, out sources of light to see if a child is interested. Oftentimes, lighted toys combine sound, which make them even more interesting and maybe more motivating to look at. And um, so there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that we want parents to feel obligated to go out and, you know, buy large you know, sources of light or lots and lots of extra lighted toys. I think we can be helpful and creative with families to talk about the types of um, their home, number one, and then the kinds of toys and things the baby might be interested in and ways we can use natural light sources in their home to take advantage of, you know, um, gaining a child's attention with, with light. There are, you know, some great, there are a few sources out there for some lighted toys. Um, our good friend Christina Wallerstein is the owner of a uh, Playopolis, and Christina has um, on her website done a really nice job of designating toys by their attributes. 
So she does have a whole section of toys that are lighted. Um, and so, you know, if a family is interested in, in even taking a look at what some of those are, you don't have to buy them necessarily from her, although, you know, we'd love to give her that business. But sometimes you can um, think of maybe some ways to make toys um, on your own that might have similar attributes. So there, there certainly is a role to play, but we, we want families to feel that, um, you know, their home environment is fine and we can be creative in ways to sort of adapt and use light. Yeah, that is definitely the truth because I think that there's a lot of times that parents think that they need to go and spend a lot of money on all of these special toys and things like that. But the reality is that there are so many things that you already have in your home. You may have an apple, an orange, a banana, a can of Coke, a can of Pepsi. All of these household items, we could actually present these at the proper distance and allow your child to look at that. And it will then create these connections within the visual parts of the brain. Another thing that we also want to remind you is that it's important to consider that your child may, in fact, need glasses. Now, many times people think that, how could you ever prescribe glasses for a child? How would you know what power to give them? But the reality is we do have tools, so when we shine this light into the baby's eye, we could see when the light focuses sharply on the eye, and that's how we know what the child's prescription is. There are many children, just as what Tori said, some children, they might be very, very sensitive to the bright light. They may have something that is called albinism, and if they do in fact have albinism, bright light might be very, very bothersome for them. It might really hurt their eyes. So for those children who have albinism, we're going to use a lens in the glasses that's going to be tinted. And it might be just slightly tinted when they're indoors. And when they go outdoors, it will turn even darker. We have other lenses that we will prescribe that it may be such that a child could see better if we tint the lens yellow or we tint the lens orange for indoor use. But when they go outside in the sun, they see better in brown. So we, we could make the glasses convert from orange when it's indoors to brown when it's outdoors. And the combination of the glasses prescription and these tints, we could make it much, much more comfortable for children to see. Because a lot of children who have low vision early on in life they do not like light. They will close their eyes and not even want to open their eyes. But as we begin to stimulate their vision, we then learn that they learn to adjust the light better. And they keep their eyes open longer. And they want to look at things. They want to explore. And for many of these kids, we've been doing this for many, many years, we do see that their vision can improve. 
And by the time that the child is a little bit older, four years old, five years old, we could even prescribe some specialized glasses, glasses that have specialized power that will allow them to see further, allow them to see the TV from across the room. And it's also very important to remember that if you have a television and it's one of the LCD flat screens or you got a computer monitor and it's one of the flat screen thin monitors, those are safe for the baby to look at. It is fine for them to watch videos or cartoons or even different geometric patterns that you might put on there as screensavers. A lot of kids love looking at those screensavers. And it is something that is safe. The things that are not safe are the very, very old televisions with the big picture tubes and things like that. So there's many, many types of things that you could do with your child. And that is basically what Tori and her staff and I do. When we evaluate the children, we're going to first look at what is the medical diagnosis. Number two we're going to refer those children to an ophthalmologist if they need surgery or certain medications for that diagnosis. Number three, we do prescribe for them glasses and low-vision aids and sunglasses and a hat. And then number four, we do recommend specific exercises and games and toys and activities that could be done at home by mom and dad. And Tori and her staff, they follow up on the phone to make certain the parents know what it is that they're doing. So all in all, I think that the program that we have at Partners in Pediatric Vision, it is a very, very successful program. And if you ever have any questions or you would like for us to see any of these children, we do accept Medi-Cal and other types of insurances. We want to thank all of you for joining us this evening. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. I'll share my email address, and then uh, my email address is drbill, D-R-B-I-L-L, foundation, at gmail.com. And, Tori, would you like to share your uh, email address? Sure. My email address is my first and last name. My first name is Tori, T-O-R-I, last name Schladen, and that is spelled S-C-H-L-A-D-E-N at gmail.com. So no dots or dashes, just Tori Schladen at gmail.com. Very good. Well, thank you both for being on the line tonight. I appreciate it. Yes, it was very, very good. And this will be up at the Airs LA website probably within a week. And that's at www.airsla.org. And uh, I, I, I forgot, Karen, do we do we post this up on Braille Institute to these lectures? Yes, we do on okay. the website. Okay, and it'll be at that braille institute.org. Yes. 